Five Star Autopsy, where we examine the cause of death for the greatest runs in pop culture. And today, on The Slab, we're discussing Wes Anderson. Film director, author, wonderkind, um, one of the most recognizable styles in filmmaking. Definitely, that's still still working, one of the most recognizable. Um, but I think in general, he's it's unmistakable. You, you know Wes Anderson's style. Super, super influential. Um, and maybe to the detriment of his own work in a way, like he, it's sort of like, it's so, it's been so copied and so, um, uh, ripped off that it kind of maybe has, has worn off a little bit of the luster from his own work. But I think overall that's not the case. And he's definitely, um, continued to, um, up his game and show people like, you know, you could be the creed to his Pearl Jam, but you will always be just creed and terrible. He's got the real deal. He's if you want you want that Wes Anderson uh, future <laughs> infusion, you know to come to him for the real shit. Um, so I'm your host Tony McMillan. I'm a comic creator, an author. Um, I've written some screenplays and uh, done some movie stuff on the indie scene, like super indie, no budget scene. Um, but you know, in general, I I love pop culture and I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. And I what I like about Wes Anderson and and what would be fun to discuss is that I was not there from um, Ground Zero, but I was there from his second film on in like real time. So I saw Rushmore when it came out uh, on on video, but not not in the theater. But uh, so this is one of those runs. A lot of the runs we talk about are artists from like um, the 70s and 60s and sometimes the 80s. And I kind of missed out on um, growing up with them. But this one, um, I was right there. I was, I was perfectly timed. I think I was like uh 15 or 14 or something when Rushmore came out and it was kind of perfect and and we'll get to it when we discuss Rushmore but uh his second film which is about a, a young kid who's like 16 or 17 um it's really fun that I watched it I had one uh, takeaway when I was a kid watching it and as I've grown up uh my my viewpoint on the characters and themes have have changed a lot and I think it's almost like uh, two films in one so that that's um before we get to Rushmore, though, okay, so let's uh, let's get down to uh, Wes Anderson. Um, Wes Anderson, he uh, he he, um, his career starts a bottle rocket, right? His first film, he's actually a, he did a student film version of it, which I think is a short, and then they they made a full uh, feature length version of it. And Bottle Rocket is really fun. It's a really it's a really good film, actually. It's really interesting and cool, but. I don't think his run of consecutive greatness begins with Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket is more of a... You can tell he hasn't exactly found his identity yet. Which is interesting because he's one of those guys who... Um, he soon after locks into who he is as a filmmaker and storyteller. And um, and almost to his detriment. He kind of... Um, he establishes the way he does things and he doesn't deviate too much from that. And sometimes... I, his work has that sameness to it that um, kind of turns you off, and I think he's he's remedied that for the most part as he's gotten older and, and c- continued to create stuff. He's found deeper uh, grooves to dig out within you know, his established uh, uh, modes of, uh, of telling stories. But Bottle Rocket, it, it, it you could watch Bottle Rocket and not know it's a Wes Anderson film, which is the only film of his films I think you could say that. Um, it's not the super controlled, super stylized, um, 
symmetrical everything everyone is in the exact right spot where they need to be it's not that at all it's very raw um his quirks his humor is still there and um partly because uh owen wilson helped him you know write it and owen wilson helps him write his early films and Wes Anderson will go on to write with other people for his other films, and so the, the, some of the humor carries over. So some of that's not just Owen Wilson, some of that's just, you know, that's uh, that's Anderson himself. But um, that's present in Bottle Rocket, and that's some of the best stuff about Bottle Rocket. And of course, it introduces Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson. Um, but it's uh, it does have that early 90s vibe of, it's, it's really not even fair, but it, yeah, I can't help but think it. In the early 90s, basically, any indie film that had uh, uh, two fast-talking guys or a guy and a girl, it doesn't matter, but the point is, people trying to commit crime or committing crimes, but it was done in a very, like, um, we're also going to have a lot a lot of dialogue, and it's really about the dialogue, but there's also this gun and maybe some shady stuff's going to go down. It was all very uh, in the shadow of Tarantino, and, you know, I say it's unfair because, you know, Tarantino did not invent uh, the crime genre. He um he helped reinvent it, and you know his stuff is very uh, influenced by a lot of different stuff, but it felt like in the early '90s, everyone was kind of trying to do their like guy guy in a gun, um fast talking you know young guy in his twenties movie, which is their Tarantino, and this movie kind of feels like that, you know, and it's you know Wes Anderson's kind of uh, his sort of spiel on it is that it, these are inept nerdy. <laughs> not tough guys who are trying to do this stuff and that's kind of the point of the film and it, and it feels like he's he's coming from a place of uh of honesty he's, he's not trying to present himself as a real tough guy at all but um the film comes out you know it doesn't it's not a huge hit or anything like that um but scorsese sees it and likes it and he, it gets wes anderson some favor and and i think from other filmmakers and and, and critics and so i think this is a really uh it's a powerful prototype maybe but it's not uh it's not part of the official run his next film is when i think the real wes aronson kind of comes to play and that's rushmore uh rushmore comes out and it's he's not he's not fully into uh the wes aronson we know meaning that it's not this such a hyper stylized world that it, it teeters or full-on um <laughs> is not the real world like it's not he's not fully built his dollhouse yet but Rushmore is approaching that and what's cool about Rushmore is that the character of Max Fisher um he he puts on plays and so the film sort of um presents its more um elaborate controlled um presentation of reality as sort of like well this is the way Max maybe views the world this is like one of his plays but as the films go on, Wes Anderson, you realize that it's really just Wes Anderson kind of developing the way he wants to um, showcase things. But what's really great about Rushmore is it's it's really great to see that style starting to come out. You know, it's, it's a big part of Wes Anderson's appeal. But he's really um, he's he he um, he's really figuring out the types of stories he wants to tell, the themes he wants to tell, the characters he wants to um, use to tell these stories. And this is one, I, this might be his most, it feels like his most personal work, or at least one of them. And I don't know if he ever gets this close to the bone. And it's simply because Max Fisher, it's such an easy one-to-one to think of him as 
Anderson himself in a lot of ways. He's a young um, director. He, he directs plays, but he's a director. He's, uh, he's, um, he, I don't think Wes Anderson's from like a poor background, but I think he's middle class, maybe a little upper, but he's not, um, despite a lot of his films seem to be about like people who write books and professors and stuff like that, he's not uh, super rich. And Max Fisher is very much a blue-collar kid who um, gets a scholarship to uh, the school of Rushmore, this preppy academy, and um, he his dad's a barber, and he he lies, and he says that his dad's a, a neurosurgeon. And so I, I see a little bit of that connection, um, and I feel like uh, what's... Like I talked about at the top, when I was a kid watching this movie, I realized that some of Max Fisher's behavior was um, self-destructive or destructive to other people and just, you know, not a great way to be. I wasn't, you know, that blind, but I overall was like, no, Max, like, I overall was like, here's a scene that, that changed, changes as I, as I get older. There's a scene where Bill Murray's character, um, he's talking to Max and he, he's in his car and he goes out of the blue. He's like, Hey Max, what's the secret? And Max is like, what do you mean? And Bill Murray's character is like, you seem like you got it all figured out. And he's talking, you know, Bill Murray's like a guy in his 50s or late 40s, failing marriage. He's got, you know, two teenage sons. Uh, he's he's a titan of industry. He's, you know, but he um, he asks him, 16-year-old boy, what's the secret of life? And Max Fisher says, well, I think you just got to find what you want to do and, and do it for the rest of your life. And for me, it's going to rush more. So as a, as a young person, I was like, oh, man. Like, Bill Murray's character is so perceptive that he realizes that Max Fisher is someone who, at this young age, does have the world figured out. He's He's got the secret. And as an adult, it's not that I think that uh, Max Fisher isn't right, per se, but I recognize the, the obliviousness and the arrogance of youth, of if someone asks you that, asks you that question, like, what's the secret of life? You seem like you have figured out. Instead of at least at least before you answer the question, at least prefacing by going, "Hey, I I I don't have it figured out. No one has it figured out. There's no way I have it figured out." Um, or just you know going, "Hey, I don't have it figured out." Not answering the question. Instead of doing any of those things, Max goes, "Yeah, boom. Here, here's what it is." He just answers it. He thinks he he thinks he has it all figured out. And the film demonstrates that he's not exactly right. Or he if he is right, it's not as easy as it, say, it seems. And of course, he says going to Rushmore for the rest of his life, which is a um, it's impossible. He can't continue to go to Rushmore. Um, he has to graduate. Of course, he could become a teacher, but I don't think that's... I don't know if that's what happens to Max eventually. But um, that scene is something that I've, I thought about a lot, uh, re-watching it, and I was like, oh yeah, when I was like 15, when I was like Max's character's age, and when I first watched this at home on video, I uh, <laughs> was just wrapped up in like, oh, Max Fisher, man, this guy... This kid is like onto something. He's he's right. But there's 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 so many fun exchanges like that. And of course, uh, I mentioned Bill Murray, and that's one of the biggest things that uh, that uh, Wes Anderson gains in this movie. He um, not only does he gain it, Bill Murray gains. Bill Murray's entire career changes. His his public perception he, it changes because of this movie. Now Bill Murray's done dramatic stuff before. Razor's Edge is actually a really good movie that um I think it was kind of shit on by critics when it came out in um I think it was like right before Ghostbusters or something. Um but uh in retrospective I think people kind of um go no no he it was good. 
that's only because his um his more dramatic kind of performances have been framed by Wes Anderson in this movie. And so this movie is it is a comedy. And Wes Anderson's movies are if they're not comedies, they're always have really funny parts. But of course, Bill Murray he nails this hangdog. Uh, just fucking, just beaten, this beaten spirit thing that he does, where it's just like, he seems like such a broken, sad sack, but there's still, it, it, maybe it's because we, we look at him as the guy from like, from, from Meatballs and Stripes and Ghostbusters, um, we look at him as Peter Venkman, but Peter Venkman grows up and then everything, everything he's done goes to shit and he's alone, he's unhappy and he's, he's self-destructive. So it adds a little layer to it, but there's still a little bit of spark in him, and that kind of accentuates uh, everything else, which is not sparking at all. And so throughout um, Wes Anderson's movies, Bill Murray has different different roles, but they're all kind of variations on this. And this is, of course, I think the best version of that. There's um, there's there's so many fun scenes where Bill Murray's character, like I think about the the swimming pool scene. Uh, where you know the Kinks is playing, uh, nothing in this world could stop me worrying about this girl. And Bill Murray's wearing this awesome Budweiser shorts, and he just he's smoking a cigarette on a high dive, and he jumps off and in front of his wife and all their fam, their friends and family, he just does a, a cannonball and he sees a little. There's this weird transcendent moment where it's sort of like a, a riff off The Graduate, where he's in, underneath the pool and sees a little boy swimming to him. Um, that scene is so funny, so sad. Um so real so surreal it's great and um bill murray he i don't think he has a line in that that, that scene really and he, he's really good at that he's a, he's a guy he's known you know he, he'd be a fast talking um kind of character and he does that at times but a lot of the, this movie is him being more laconic and more you know he's in that broken state and so he hangs back and like one of the best bits of acting i've ever seen by anybody, and especially Bill Murray, is basically a silent performance. It's when Bill Murray, early in the film, is introduced to Max Fisher, and Max Fisher lies to him and says, oh yeah, my, dad, my dad's a neurosurgeon. Because Max Fisher is still trying to put on the airs that you know, he's like a bunch of these other kids who, you know, he's come from a privileged background. Later in the film, Bill Murray meets Max's real dad, and Max's dad's a barber. And um, Max goes, hey, this is my dad, uh, he's a barber. And Bill Murray's face, you see the recognition of, oh, he lied. And then you see, oh, I I know why he lied. And he has a slight smile and he shakes Max's Fisher's dad's hand. And you can tell there's just so much um, understanding and empathy and uh, so much uh, thought washing over Bill Murray's character. And it's all done with just Bill's face. It's great. It's 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 great. I'm I'm not an actor really. I've I've tried to act in film, some movies. I don't think I'm good, but um, I I would think that that would be a really uh, in, instructive scene to watch to see what you can do and how to use how to use um use things that aren't aren't words basically to convey so much feeling and emotion and storytelling. So that that that's that's an incredible scene. But the film in general. Um, some people say this is their favorite movie of his, and I, I get it. There's so much going on. There's so much, um, there's so much heart to this film. And Wes Anderson is one of those guys that I think some people kind of get bogged down with, um, they think he's glib, or they think, uh, everything he's done with irony, or 
I think they're 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 not sure what their where their footing is. They're not sure if he's making fun of things or if he's being earnest or or what they're they're not sure what they they should feel. And I think this film it's still grounded enough in reality that um the ambiguity might be less than some of his later films and also I think that it is closer to the bone with Wes Anderson's uh own thoughts with this character Max Fisher that I think it's um this one is something you could show almost anybody, and I think they would probably dig it. It's a, it's a great film, and it's one of my favorites. Um, it might be my second favorite, but it's not. Uh, it's not a masterpiece. His next movie is though. It's um it's Royal Tenenbaums. So again, you know, this is something I was I was there to witness. You know, in real time. So, um. Loved Rushmore, thought it was awesome, and I think at that point, I think I went back and watched Bottle Rocket, and I was like, okay, that's that was good, it wasn't as good as Rushmore, um, but then I heard, I feel like soon after, um, I saw like the trailer for Royal Tenenbaums, saw like the poster, um, I don't think I saw it in theater, I think again, I, um, I saw it in video, but I was excited, I was like, oh man, this looks crazy, and like, I remember even seeing the trailer, I was like, oh, the colors, and like, everyone's wearing like, um, like Scooby Doo style, like they're all wearing the same, seem like the same outfit every scene. Like they're like almost costumes. I remember seeing Ben Stiller's character in the tracksuit and his kids too. I was like, like what, what, what is this? It's like I was really intrigued. I was like, that's really cool, but it's like um, it didn't seem exactly normal. It didn't seem normal. It seemed like it seemed like some sort of almost like a fancy touch or something a little different about that. Um, and when the movie, when I finally watched it, I was um. I knew, I was like, oh my god, this is fucking, this is, this is like my new favorite director, this guy, oh my god, this movie is, this movie is so good, it, it was, it was really fun for me, because like, um, you know, it's the 90s, so you have like these, the big directors, you have the Tarantinos, you have the P.T. Anderson, and you have the Wes Anderson, and there's other people, but these are some of the people I think about a lot, and what was cool about Wes Anderson was like, he, again, his films, it's like, they're, they're, he didn't really do a lot of stuff of violence, and I love violence in films. I think that I, I think it'd be really exciting and cool and fun. I hate violence in real life. It's I think it's kind of stupid I have to say that, but I feel like I'm just making sure you know I've been punched in the face. It sucks. I don't like it. I don't like people getting hurt. But in film and in stories, it could be really interesting, and really and really fun. And Wes Anderson sort of like it's almost like a, a comedian who, who doesn't do any blue material. They don't do any swear words. He's like, oh, I'm not going to, people, that's been done by a lot of people. I don't really need to do that. At least, especially with Tarantino. Again, Tarantino cast such a big shadow in the 90s. It's like, well, take that off the table, so automatically I'm a little different than that. And so Royal Tenenbaums um, kind of continued that trend. Uh, although there is one scene of suicide violence, which is, uh, it's one of the, it's probably the darkest Wes Anderson's, one of the darkest things that he's ever done, and, and it's extremely effective. And maybe part of the shock of it is is the rest of the film is not like that. The rest of the film is, you know, it's it's more about the um, the emotional uh, hurt we could do to one another, and, and it's it's people not getting the you know they're not taking guns out and, and shooting each other. It's not about that, and so um, I I enjoyed that. I I kind of thought that was a cool. Uh, <laughs> It's funny. I was like, "Oh, whoa! A film without violence? What a novel idea!" But in the '90s, for like certain films, it did seem a little bit like that. 
Um, Roald Tenenbaums is to me it's his masterpiece, but it's also a, it's one of those works are uh, works in a creator's career that's a giant leap forward. It feels like this film should have been like three films after uh, Rushmore to, to get where he got with this film. He comes, he just evolved. He fucking uh, Dragon Ball Z's Pokemon evolved. It's like boom. Um, the 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 shots, the the cinematography, the um the 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 symmetry of some of these shots. It's it's so okay. It's so clinical. But the film subject matter, the performances, that keeps it um, lively and, and has at least the feel of spontaneity enough that the film never feels stiff, despite it being a dollhouse, despite that, that becoming his defining characteristic is that he makes these perfect looking dollhouse kind of uh, shots. He makes sure the subject matter and his characters and the actors he chooses, they, they make everything alive. So you're not watching... Um, you know something stiff and boring it's a cool balance in that you have the, you have i, I don't want to I, I if i say cold i don't mean actual uh, color palette because he actually is usually in really warm colors and beautiful um kind of uh, lush colors but i mean cold as in like everything is very stiff it's like just the shots right down the middle every one is exactly where they need to be it's perfect but the fire comes from all the people and, and the story and, and so it's 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 really balanced it's this great little like uh, teeter-totter and at his best which I think Royal Town of Moms is the balance is always perfect you have a, a bunch of characters a huge ensemble you have uh, Bill Murray comes back uh, the Wilson brothers come back uh, you have new people uh, including Angelica Houston doing one, some of my favorite stuff she's, she's done. You have Gwyneth Paltrow, you have Ben Stiller. It's a humongous cast, right? You also have Gene Hackman, his one Wes Anderson role, and it's one of his best roles ever in a huge career. And this feels very much like the Burt Reynolds Boogie Nights thing, where um, I, I guess Gene Hackman and Wes Anderson didn't, didn't get along on set. There were um, arguments about Gene Hackman, I guess, is like very much like, hey, I get paid a certain amount. I don't, I don't really care. You know, I'm a professional. I'll bring my A game no matter what I do. But um, if you don't reach a certain amount, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it for less than that. And there's there are haggles over that. And when they got on set, he, you know, I think he bumped heads with uh, Wes Anderson's, uh, especially Wes Anderson's sort of like he, Wes Anderson had, had proven himself to be the auteur that we all kind of think of him uh, now. So he was like, who's this kid telling me, like, these shots are really, like, I'm sure they're very complex and, like, you know, I have to hit my marks and all this crap. And it's kind of a weird flavor of, of comedy and, and drama. But for whatever reason, I don't know how bad the fights were. I've made they're being blown out of proportion. The performance is uh, one of his best. Gene Hackman, he does one of the, my favorite things is like, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite things in stories is like sort of like the the old fighter comes back for one last go, you know? So it's like Dark Knight Returns, Batman, he's older, he's going back for one last blaze of glory. In real life, Jim Morrison and the Doors, L.A. woman, one last go at it. Gene Hackman's character, he's a shitty dad, his uh, life's in, in ruins. He goes back to try to, um, he basically at first scam his family, then of course during the scam he starts realizing that he loves these people and he really wants to make uh, some sort of redemption and, and come back and bring the family together again. And the whole family is kind of going through this, a similar thing where they're all sort of these um, once promising uh, young protégés and different and different things, and um, they've all faded a bit or a lot. 
And this is them, uh, you know, figuring out who, rem- reminding themselves who they are and coming together as a family. And so you have, uh, you have this really strong emotional core of family. You have this great backdrop of all these, um, these wild people in this sort of basically fictional, fictional version of New York City, which is, you know, which is what he, he'll start doing is just doing his own stylized version of, of different places and, and parts of history. And it, it just comes together wonderfully. And there's also a great Alec Baldwin uh, narration. And this film, this is the one that I think uh, it's hard to deny. I think I rewatched it recently and I watch it, you know, every few years, I think it just kind of comes up. I rewatched it recently and I was a little worried almost. I was like, oh man, I, I really love this movie. I kind of, it's been a while. I feel like it's been like three years or something like that. And I was like, oh, I wonder, hope, hope it holds up. And it, it, it blew me away. It, it was, I know it's, I'm not going to say it's even better because I think I always held it in high regards, but I was like, oh man, it fucking delivers. As I get older, it delivers more. And of course, like a lot of things, um, as you get older, you, the people you might identify with be, uh, change a little bit. And um, so far, I've not been a terrible father, but uh, the fear of becoming like Royal Tenenbaum, Gene Hackman's character, and losing your family, and that kind of stuff, and, and that stuff, I, I, it appealed to me when I was a younger kid, just because like, uh, you know, I have certain uh, attachments to these broken father characters who are trying their best, even though they're fuck-ups. And now, it's basically... Um, fear of becoming that it's it's become a christmas carol kind of thing um there's there's so much to love about this film and of course uh, all, a lot of his films he's really good at soundtracks and music and so there's you know his he, he and he's really good at the slow-mo and so like in rushmore he did like the uh, quick one while she, while he's away by the who for this great slow-mo shot where um max fisher's character is uh putting bees out in the bill murray's uh <laughs> hotel room and it just, and he puts his, <laughs> max fisher puts his gum on the side of like, the elevator he gets off in slow motion and it's so like pinnacle of like badass looking and cool but also really juvenile and dorky and not badass at all with this great rock song Wes Anderson ups that game. There's some great stuff with um, slow motion and, and cool shots and great music. Uh, good old Rolling Stones songs, Ramones. It's it's all over the place. Um, the Clash. It's it's great and um, so, so many funny moments. Great things. I, I stuff I actually still say like weird. They're quotes, but they're like so nothing. But I know what I'm referencing. Like I'll say something sometimes. I'm like, I know you asshole. And that's what, you know, Gene Hackman's character says to uh, uh, Owen Wilson's character, Cash, Eli, Eli Cash, as he's going out the window. And I guess it's actually, that's a, that whole line is a callback to uh, the movie Witness with Harrison Ford or, for some reason. But um, I think Danny Glover's in it too. But uh, overall, it, I don't know, all I can say is this movie is, it's basically flawless. It's it's so much fun. There's so much heart to it. Um, you know, Ben Stiller also gives a great performance, and Ben Stiller has sort of this Adam Sandler thing where um, uh, he's one of those he's one of the great angry actors. Like he um, he doesn't do it a lot, but like he plays Fury really well for for comedic effect and sometimes for real. And there's this part where um, uh, Gene Hackman takes his grandsons out on this uh, <laughs> this. Uh, really dangerous but fun as hell looking montage where they watch bull bullfights or something and it, not bullfights i'm sorry but like dog fights and they go in the back of cars they're they're sketching they're doing all kinds of awesome dangerous shit with their grandpa 
Um, they and when they get home, Bill Ben Stiller, their dad, is you know furious. He didn't know where these kids were. He grabs Gene Hackman. They go to this uh, closet full of board games, and Ben Stiller is screaming in Gene Hackman's face. And Gene Hackman's been pretty calm at first, and eventually Gene Hackman just snaps and screams back at him. And then he calms down just to show him like, hey, I can scream too. Let's you know, let's, let's chill the fuck out. And Ben Stiller leaves in a huff, and just the acting, this, this ping pong battle between the two of them. It's uh, it's incredible. It, it, there's so much going on there. Uh, Angelica Houston is an understated role, but she's really great in this film. The stuff with her and Gene Hackman walking around, kind of, you know, the divorced couple still flirting, but there's years of resentment and pain and and betrayal there. She does a great job. Um, Royal Tenenbaums. If he, if Wes Anderson never made another movie, we'd still be talking about this guy because of this movie and Rushmore. This is the one-two punch. It's just like. I, I don't know, man. These two, these two films, they set the bar so high for him that, of course, he's he's the, he's going to fail. Even the run continues, he's never going to match uh, what he sets up here. Especially with such a, a huge leap of Tenenbaums. But he goes on, right? So so he goes on with a victory lap, which is Life Aquatic uh, with Steve Zissou. And so Life Aquatic is, Life Aquatic is a really good film that suffers from being um, the follow-up to a masterpiece. So what I mean is that, you know, I, I, when I first saw that film, I was, so I was, at that point, I'm like fucking, you know, talk about Team ZZ, I'm Team Anderson. I'm like, Wes Anderson is the fucking guy. Like, I, I'm all about him. I can't wait for his next movie. And I, I see the trailer, I'm like, oh my God, Bill Murray, boom, he's back. Like all the colors look incredible, and it's like about like it's like a Steve Steve Zissou's like this you know Jacques Cousteau kind of thing, and I was like, oh, I remember the Jacques Cousteau book being a pivotal part of Rushmore. It's like, oh, it reminded me of John Carpenter putting the thing in Halloween. It's like, oh, he's putting these Easter eggs for future projects. It's all planned. It's, I'm I'm so excited, and like you know, Bill Murray's the main character now again, and so uh, my expectations are really high, and so it didn't meet him. It 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 wasn't a it wasn't a um, it wasn't a huge failure. I, I liked the movie, but you know I was I was expecting Royal Tenenbaums, and you know it's, especially as a, a younger person, I realized I, I had to relearn the lesson over and over again. You know some things are as good as they're gonna get, and they they're great. Like don't you can't expect people to keep on dropping fucking masterpieces. I remember being a kid and listening to like <laughs> I I was like Stone Temple Pilots, Purple. Uh, Soundgarden, Super Unknown, and like Nirvana, Nevermind, and um, having the same thought of both those, all those albums, be like, oh, this is really, this is so good, this is so good, but I bet you the next one will be even better, because I just didn't know, I just didn't know, like, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, it's really hard to, to, to top yourself, um, especially when you reach, some of those, those albums I mentioned are just like, you know, they're Basically, if they're not perfect, they're as close as you're gonna get. They're, they're, they're some of those artists' best work, you know, at least arguably. So, anyways, Life Aquatic um, is a victory lap. You know, he, he's, he's. I think Wes Anderson is feeling, um, he's feeling the recognition of his his style. He's established what he's into now, so he's gonna bring it in further, even more hyper stylized stuff, more incredible shots, his humor, his uh, weird character stuff. But. I think what happens is that, so not only is he following up Royal Tenenbaums, the balance in this film is a little off. The balance between his hyper-stylized stuff, his very particular, like, I gotta have everything just right, just so, 
with the actual emotional core of his film. So he again goes back to uh, the, the well of like a uh, 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 fuck up dads, strange dads, uh, and, and, and you know, and family stuff. It doesn't feel doesn't feel as real as Rushmore, which wasn't really about dads, but at least emotionally, it didn't feel as real as that. And if Tenenbaums, Tenenbaums, that felt richer. It felt like um, maybe because because it was the first time him really going to that um, that source of material. This feels like a paler version of that. And there are great good moments in it, but um, like like when near the end when um, Bill Murray shows uh, Owen Wilson's character like he has a letter that he wrote him as a kid saying, "Hey, I think you might be my dad. By the way, I like." Um, I like, you know, the Steve Z Society and stuff like that. Like, what, do you ever wish you can breathe underwater? And Bill Murray tells me, you know, he, he, he's kept that letter. He's had it the whole time. So that reveals, like, yeah, I, I lied to you, but um, I've thought about you. I just, I haven't been man enough or um, I haven't been man enough to face it or just I have been too too damaged or too foolish to, to, to um, fully embrace the possibility of you as my son. And of course, what's fun about the film is you find out through Angelica Houston's character that uh, he's not probably, he's actually not his son biologically. Uh, Steve Zissou shoots blanks. But still, Steve Zissou doesn't know that. So, you know, it's it, he still should have uh, met him and tried to figure it out, I guess. But the point is, that scene, the real point is that, um, you know, there's there's a lot of hidden depth and in, in wounded heart to uh, Bill Murray's character in that movie. And that comes out, in the end of the film, I think she um, saves this film from being um, such a letdown compared to Tenenbaums that's like, oh, the, it ruins the run. The run continues. This is a solid film. The ending is incredible. The ending, uh, Bill Murray again, just pulling out all the stops. And you have another, like, like Tenenbaums, a huge ensemble cast. And they're all in this little submarine. And they go to face the Jaguar shark, which is absurd, right? And that's what's so great. He, juxta- he There's a juxtaposition of this absurd stuff, people in these sort of costumes, like cartoon characters, with really real, uh, really real emotion, really, um, really complex, uh, complex inner workings. And so Bill Murray's, you know, he, he's looking at the shark and he's, he's basically facing down death and friendship and, and family and his legacy and he's facing down the infinite and he's just, he goes like oh I wonder if the shark remembers me and he's basically crying as he says it and everyone hold puts their hand to him and it's almost like a renaissance painting and there's this weird sort of emotional like this it's like a healing moment I'm getting like tingles talking about it um I don't even remember if the music swells or not but it's this, it's this moment it's kind of it comes out of the blue and that's what Wes Anderson is at his best he kind of this you aren't expecting it. He just he hits you with a gut punch, and it's this it's this really uh, cathartic moment in this film, and Bill Murray Bill Murray sells it. That's why he's the great he's the, he's the the great collaborator. And I um, and he's in all his almost all his films, but uh, this is probably his second best performance, I think. And he's the lead, so it makes some sense. But uh, the ending helps helps you know. Uh, lift up this film 
uh, great soundtrack, uh, mostly acoustic covers of David Bowie stuff. There is, it's funny, um, I talk about how Wes Anderson not really, doesn't use a lot of violence, but uh, <laughs> there's, an, there's an insane amount of violence in this film. It, it, like this one segment, especially where the Iggy and the Stooges are playing, and like Bill Murray go, gets a gun and fights with these pirates, and he's just shooting people, and it's fucking, it's insane. It's so, it feels so uh, of a different piece, but it works. Then uh, I love it. That's the, it's so much fun. I'm laughing. It's, it's so high voltage, and the rest of the film does not doesn't have that vibe at all. But um, it's great. So Life Aquatic, I think uh, it's funny. I think Life Aquatic is kind of polarizing. I think some people that's like their favorite Wes Anderson movie too. They love it. Um, and other people go, oh no, this is when he started going the wrong way. And I I'm not either way. I'm I'm kind of like, yeah, it's not as good as Ten Bombs, but it's still really good. It just kind of um, if this if this was like uh, the film before Ten Bombs. Or two films later, I think people will just straight up go, "Oh, it's awesome! I love, I love it." Maybe there's a few parts that you might want to change, or maybe it's a little too about its own uh, cool-looking visuals, but and not as much. And maybe the story needs a little work, but uh, overall, I like it. So I, I, I think, um, I think that uh, it's a, it's a solid victory lap follow-up. He's having a good time. He's not exactly. Um, this is the start of, he's not exactly uh, growing. He, it's sort of like he had such a huge growth period between Rushmore and World of Tenenbaums. It's like he already skips like four rungs. So it's like, uh, it seems like he's sort of just treading water a little bit with where he's going artistically. And that will bite him in the ass for the next installment. So the next film he does is Daring Limited. And this breaks the run. Daring Limited, again, he, I'll say this, Wes Anderson has not made a bad movie. He's made so many great films that some of his films are lesser. Uh, they just can't match, you know, these heights that he's achieved before. Daring Limited feels like it's just an it's like it's like uh, the door is waiting for the sun. It's 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 just the latest episode. He's sort of doing a lot of the stuff he's done before, but not as well as he did before, and they're not novel anymore. And unfortunately, the film doesn't um, just doesn't have enough good stuff to kind of keep the run going. Like it doesn't hang on. It, it just kind of it just dips too much. So you have the broken family stuff, which he'll return to a lot. Um, and there's some good stuff here, especially with the brother characters. Um, there's gr- incredible color palette. Some, some of his, his most, his most, um, beautiful looking shots and some of the stuff. Um, but you know, it, and it just feels like, it just feels like he's a little bit in a rut. Um, Angelica Houston has a great performance. There's some great scenes. There's a scene where they play one of my favorite Stone songs, um, which I'm not blanking on because uh, I'm on the mic and it's, <laughs> it's uh, oh my god, oh play a fire. It's called play. Oh my god, if you, yeah. And so they they play that song. Angelica Houston, who's basically uh, who left her sons to join a, a nun's coven, um, they're all in a circle and they're talking, you know, basically about like what are her responsibilities to them now that they're grown. Are there any and different things like that, and, and the song is playing, and there's all these really cool close shots, and it's very witchy, and it's very cool, very, very cool. Um, great stuff of Owen Wilson's character, uh, who's covered in bandages, he finally reveals like how broken and scarred he is underneath them. There is a lot of good stuff, man, you know, it just, it just feels like a lesser work, and if you had maybe tried some new stuff with it, and it was still not working, I, I'd give it a little more points, but I think it breaks the run. But there's good news. Wes Anderson has a second run. This guy, he doesn't just rest on his laurels. He's 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 pretty consistent. Okay, so 
he comes back really strong. Um, this next film, this this is a, uh, it's really fun because like it, it basically told me I, I was watching this happen in real time. It heralded like my my dude Wes Anderson is back, and it, I feel like this is this is in the middle of uh, the tide of turn on Wes Anderson a little bit. I think Royal Tenenbaums, uh, he was a lot of people like they you know a lot of critics uh, would just loving him he was mr criterion collection all this stuff life aquatic i think some people were like a little bit like okay it's kind of kind of the same you know as good and then dares unlimited cemented to them like oh he just does one thing and it's and it's not as good as it used to be he comes back with fantastic mr fox a stop motion animated film based on a kid's book um and i first heard about this i was like i don't know this feels like like Wes Anderson's always been, you know, he, he like Tim Burton, uh, he's a very distinct style visually, um, and but I felt like his stuff was a little more grounded. I I was like, I don't know, it's about talking animals. Wes Anderson, I I, I hope it's not like a fucking Pixar movie from him. I don't I don't want that because his stuff has been accused of being cute and 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 some people say cloying. I don't think it's ever been cloying, but um, it's nice and neat, and I could see like why um, I think a lot of Pixar movies and stuff like that. Like the new Paddington movies are all direct, um, not ripoff. They're definitely directly um, inspired from his sort of visual uh, motifs and stuff like that. But Mr. Fantastic Mr. Fox is none of those things. It's it's super fun. Um, I don't know if kids like it. Um, I watched it in my twenties. I saw it in theater. Uh, I loved it. I think there's enough there for kids to enjoy. Um, it's still fun, but the funny thing is, like, half the story is really about middle age, and it's about, you know, marriage, and it's, there's some heavy themes, and it's done, you know, mo- there's a lot of comedy in there, but it's also about, sort of like Royal Tenenbaums, the main character is a father, but it's not exactly, it's, he's a father, he's still with his family, so he's not this a strange guy, but it is about a charismatic leader who's got to reckon with his selfishness, and his ambition versus the people who he does love, but they get caught in the crosshairs. And I think that Royal Tenenbaums and, and Life Aquatic, um, and and Rushmore actually, you know, it's not about uh, he's, he, the Max Fisher is still a kid, but uh, they're all about these kind of creative, creative or charismatic leader types, who uh, unfortunately demolish the people close to them because they're just they're they're after their goal. And so, Fantastic Mr. Fox has some really nuanced, kind of uh, grown-up stuff to say about that. And George Clooney does a great voice performance, and it's it's so much fun. Um, and there's there's a lot there's a, there's of course visually it's um, it's unlike anything he's done before because it's stop motion animation, but it's also very much like what he's done. You, you can tell these are his shots still. And of course, before his movies, I called them dollhouses. These are these are these are dollhouses. But there's still that energy. There's still life in there. It's like, it's basically, it's it's like um, you're gonna listen to like a craft work or some electronic kind of band, or can or something. But there's still enough like rock and roll in there that it's, it doesn't feel stiff. It doesn't feel boring. It doesn't feel dull. So I think there's a limit in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fantastic Mr. Fox in a lot of ways is a kid's movie that helped Wes Anderson grow up. Like, this is him, I think, starting the second chapter of his, his career, him looking at um, what he's done before and the themes and kind of figuring out um, 
how to how to how to get back to that emotional stuff that was that was that you need that 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 the underlining skeleton of of feeling and character that you need in order to, to have fun with your visuals and your style and it took it's funny it took them this uh this uh movie which is you know um it's an animated movie it took them this like very visual um kids movie kids story to kind of figure out oh you know i i gotta have my vegetables with my my candy man i gotta i, I have to have something there of substance in order to have some fun with um with all the dazzling stuff so i think this luckily he mostly stays the course of this like he, this learning experience and so he follows up with moonrise kingdom moonrise kingdom is 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 so breezy and and cool and it's such a good time and what this helped me out was like for his second run i was like okay so fantastic mr fox was great uh, it's one of my favorite movies he's done he ever done but it was it's, a, it's an oddball it's, a, it's an animated film so like in a weird way i was kind of like can he still do good live action movies moonrise kingdom was like yes he can and not only can he do that at this point we had already reached a saturation point of his influence of visual stuff like you've seen commercials that have kind of his overhead shots with like an object in the middle and some two hands moving around and doing stuff in fact like on, on even now on youtube there's so many like cake tutorial videos and other tutorial videos which are basically just shots like he would do of an object in the middle um and hands doing something and if he didn't invent that he definitely popularized it um, so he comes back and he's sort of like, okay, I've seen a lot of people like pretending, you know, to be me. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to up the game, you know? And so he comes through with, um, uh, just, he ups his, his color game, his visuals. He goes even like sort of like fantastic Mr. Fox and life aquatic too from earlier. They open up that he's like, I'm going to embrace older styles of special effects that, um, using stills, using miniatures, um, I'm gonna embrace this, and and yes, it doesn't look real, but it doesn't. So does CGI doesn't look real either, and I prefer the look of this stuff, the handmade look, the stuff. So there's parts where there's a lightning storm in Moonrise Kingdom, and there's like these little miniatures of Bruce Willis and the kids hanging from like part of like the big church or whatever, and it's clearly miniatures and dolls or whatever, but it it just kind of gives a nice touch of like this movie takes place in the '60s, it feels like it just feels right. And there's also stuff where uh, I love, like, there's a scene where the kids are having this, the boys got to have this barbaric fight, and um, uh, he, the kid takes a pair of scissors and stabs the other kid. And you just see the scissors flying in the air, and it, it, the camera kind of flashes real quick, almost like a Speed Racer cartoon. And you just see these sort of like flashes of energy, and then and then the scissors, and then you hear a scream, and it's, it's done really artistically. And it's, I, I don't know if he's doing that to avoid showing violence to a child, or just because it's kind of a cool way to do it and actually it's um it's almost more um more violent because it's done in such a, a shocking way uh as opposed to i guess we've seen enough violent movies that seeing something get stabbed can be violent but it's also we've seen it before this this kind of takes you aback um but again with all this cool style and him upping his stylized his game and showing you sort of like uh we've been all when, he, when he's been away, we've been uh, filling the void with these imitation versions of him. And he's like, no more diet, Wes Anderson. Here's the full thing, full flavor, boom. He also keeps in mind the the emotion of the characters and, and the story. And so you have this sort of parallel love story, the two young kids, the teenagers who are in love, which is really well done. Like, it feels like 
they're well at the, the kids are great actors there's you feel like oh yeah they're young but i could see this this why they like each other i could see what how they complement one another and and how it works and also the kids uh his line when he, he walks in on the play they're doing they're just like birds and he, he he goes what kind of bird are you and some other girl answers he goes no and he points at the main girl and goes what kind of bird are you that's a good line like, like you could that could work in a bar or something Anyways, there's that love story, and then there's also the uh, failing marriage and Frances McDormand's character and her uh, affair with Bruce Willis and Bill Murray, of course, being the cuckold husband, and he's another sad, sad character. He gives a great performance. Frances McDormand gives a great performance. I love Frances McDormand. Um, she kind of joins the the Wes Anderson crew. Um, she might have done a voice in Fantastic Mr. Fox first, but I, I don't remember. But this is the first time I've seen her face in this movie. She's a great addition to it. Um... Tilda Swinton uh, comes in too. She's another great addition, um, <laughs> and she's she's clearly having a ball with this kind of stuff. It's great. The film, it de- it definitely nails that kind of um, that summer young romance thing, and also that kind of faded romance thing of I think older older couples and um, you know I I think Moonrise Kingdom is is really good. It's it's uh, it feels very also feels very. Um, He's always had a kind of European influence on a lot of this stuff. This feels like it wears it on its sleeve a little bit more. It feels like the you know like the Mike Patton Lovich album could be a good soundtrack to this if it wasn't quite so explicitly horny. Um, it, it, but it has that kind of like yeah, this is the '60s and you know we're gonna let our hair down and get groovy with love and whatnot. But it, I don't know, it's it's hard to say. But I think Moonrise Kingdom, it's a fiery follow up to his second run. Like he's like I'm back, I'm fully back like assuage your fears I'm here I'm doing this thing so he comes back with this right his next film it's another masterpiece I do not think I'll say it's it's a it's another masterpiece in fact if there was no role of Tenenbaums this might be I, I still think Rushmore's probably in my heart of hearts I prefer because maybe I saw it first maybe um it's it's uh, Rushmore feels a little more personal. There's a less of uh, a, there's less decoration to get in the way of the heart. But the next film, Grand Budapest Hotel, it feels like Wes Anderson has gotten through. He's gone through his like uh, Dark Knight of the Soul with Daring Limited, and sort of like he, he's come back with Fantastic Mr. Fox. He's come back in Moonrise Kingdom. He's feeling very confident as a filmmaker and a storyteller. And he's going to try some really some different stuff for him while retaining what's worked before in the past and what he's still interested in. And he comes back to Grand Budapest Hotel. So it's it's he's like finding new realms of style and he's finding deeper realms of character and theme than he's ever had before. He's 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 playing with history and he's doing it in his way. So like before we had the fictionalized version in New York City. Uh, now he's got like a fictionalized version of uh, World War II instead of Nazis, this other terrible fascist party and all this stuff. And then you have um, you have this the visuals. There's the colors, the color purple that's used in here, and the color pink. They're so just you can drink them in. They're so beautiful. The hotels in here, the outfits that Ralph Fiennes wears, and the other characters. He's he's somehow found a way to become even more, make more of a dollhouse, and he knows that in order to do that, in order for you to care about that, he has to also up the game 
with the characters, and he does. And Ralph finds, I think this is the only thing he's done with him. And Ralph finds he it's it's probably my my favorite Ralph Fiennes performance. His character is such a weird fucking egg. He's uh this he's this guy who runs a hotel, but he's. He, he seduces all these old women, but he actually, he does not just, he enjoys their money and whatnot, but he actually cares for these older women, and he's, it's kind of this kink, but he also is in love with some of them, and he's, he's got this young protege named Zero, and, um, he's just, uh, he's so interesting, man, he's so, like, <laughs> it's such a, he's such a crazy character, um, there, there's a lot, there's so much life in this film, it feels like, it feels like it's really impressive that a guy who's this is like his tenth movie or something or an eighth or whatever. It feels like his second or third movie with the with the the power and energy behind it. It feels like he's like he's so into it, you know. And um, Adrian Brody, uh, who's been, who was in Daring Limited and a few of his other movies later on and stuff like that. Wes Anderson knows how to use him. He he makes Adrian Brody really funny. He's a villain in this movie. Uh, he 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 has a good time with him. He he um. I think he uses them to um, a really good uh, extent. He knows like where the guy's strengths lie. And the same Willem Dafoe. This is like their you know third collaboration or something at this point. <laughs> Willem Dafoe looks like Nosferatu. Of course, he played basically Nosferatu before. He makes him this ghoulish uh, thug character, and he's so fun and scary. There's this great um, skiing uh, chase thing, and this film. You know, he's, he's displayed it before, but this film has some great action sequences in the middle of of this this really weird drama and comedy. And there's a prison sequence. There's, there's so much story going on here, but it feels like it zips along. And at the same time, it, there's all these little surprise sneak attacks of emotion, including Ed, Ed Norton's character and, of course, the final fate of Ralph Fiennes' character. And the only thing I would ding and it's kind of slight it is slight is the framing device starts with um uh a, a, a character who's basically doing uh he he's at the hotel in in current or present day or maybe it's like in the 80s but it's not in the time period of world war ii of the story and he's being told a story by um another character who's reminiscing about this so it feels like there's a couple little extra framing parts of the story that that they don't add too too much to the overall story i feel like you could maybe take those out and just have the story be um it it, it take place in the world war ii era and just go for it but that's slight there's still some cool stuff there um the the kid i forget his name now he's he's he plays um flash thompson and all the new spider-man movies but he plays uh, zero um, he plays the, the kid who becomes like the, the concierge or all finds his uh, protege. Great performance, incredible performance. They are such a good team together. Um, love it. Like, so Grandpa Budapest Hotel was when I, when I watched this, I was like, oh man, dude, he, Wes Anderson, he, he's, he's still, he's like reached the second peak. He's like, he's got so much to say. He feels like he's, he's a guy, he's, he's not, he's not only... He's not only surviving; he is fucking fr- thriving. He, this guy, I, I was again, I was already excited to see what he was gonna do next. But now I was like, oh my god, I, I, I can't wait! I can't wait! I feel like, in a way, it's like, um, this cemented that he is, um, he's, he is here for a while. He's gonna be like a Cohen brother. He's gonna be a Tarantino. He's gonna be somebody who keeps on delivering great work, and maybe it won't ever uh, reach certain uh, 
peaks of the past, but he's going to constantly have cool stuff to say. And he's also shown you that he, um, he's retained his singular voice, but he's, uh, he's trying new stuff out and it's working. So how do you follow that up? I think, unfortunately, the next one is, does break his second run. And I am kind of on the fence in this one. The next movie is Isle of Dogs. And I actually, again, I don't think he's made a bad movie. I like Isle of Dogs. I feel like, since again, it's another stop motion animated film, maybe I'm unfairly comparing it to Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is one of Wes Anderson's better movies in general. Maybe that's not fair. If I compared it more to like, um, you know, Life Aquatic or something like that, maybe I, I would have higher regards. Isle Dogs has some great stuff, really tons of imagination, great visuals, really fun characters. Sounds great, right? Um, I kind of feel like uh, the second and third act uh, meander a little bit, and I don't feel uh, I don't feel the emotional core that I felt with his best work. I think there are there are definitely great stuff, great things in there. I think the the Brian Cranston voice dog, the main dog. His whole thing about how he bites, he doesn't know why. He basically, he's like, I'm a wild animal. And so he's like, I hurt people I love sometimes. I don't mean to, it's, it's in my nature a little bit. But I'm still a good, you know, I'm still a good, uh, I'm a good person, but I'm still a good dog. Um, there's there's something there, which I like. Um, something that Wes Anderson talked about, you know, his, I think, human nature in general. Maybe the nature of, you know, whatever kind of weird loner, I don't know it's loner, but the kind of character he kind of keeps coming back to, which I think probably reflects some part of himself, is this person who's charismatic, but at the same time uh, is dangerous to be around for the people who um, who gravitate towards him. And I can relate to that too. So I think it just bare. If it was a little bit more focused, I think uh, in the second or third act, the run would continue to be a lesser work. But unfortunately, it's it's not. I think that it just kind of it dips just enough that I, I rewatched it and I do like it. Uh, great music, cool stuff. Um, there's Mecha Godzilla dogs. That's awesome. Um, it just feels like a, it's a lesser work that um, doesn't try anything too too new and doesn't exactly succeed where it should. But um, I'm happy to say. Wes Anderson might have been might have started his his third run, unprecedented third run here on uh, Five Star Autopsy. So his next film um, is French Dispatch. French Dispatch is an anthology film of uh, three or four stories, um, all about a different newspaper, or about the same newspaper rather. Um, huge ensemble cast. He's trying a bunch of stuff. And since it's an anthology movie, he um, he gets to play with a lot of different styles. He's doing a lot of stuff that. Um, he he hasn't done before, or he's done a little bit of before, but um, he's gonna take take it to new to new depths, and um, I I thought I loved it. I was so um happy with it. I actually feel like the stories, at least two of them, like they could have been their own movie. There's so much going on there. Uh, Benicio de Toro's character, that whole thing in prison uh, as an artist, great stuff. Um, the James Baldwin analog character, uh, that Jeffrey Wright plays great stuff and that that's the whole story as a like helping the, the cops as a food critic and like it's so absurd and crazy but it's really fun uh there's so much style so much pizzazz and again like he keeps finding ways to like sort of like to blow his imitators out of the water because they don't they just have a surface understanding of what he's done he keeps 
he keeps on finding bigger, cooler stuff to show you with style and, and the way he shoots movies. At the same time, his humor is on top of things, there's, and there's emotional moments. Um, it's a great film. Like, uh, I feel like it's a it's a huge flex. It's him kind of going, yeah, this this film is um, an anthology thing of a bunch of shorter stories, but um, I, I have so much I could I could I can just throw at you, and it's gonna work. It's gonna stick. Frances McDormand does a great performance. I I love her. Um, and even the good-looking dude from uh, Dune and stuff and Call Me By Your Name. Uh, I forget his name now. I feel bad. Anyways, uh, good hair. He he is great with Frances McDormand. Uh, cool movie. Really cool movie. And so what's cool is like, so this could be his third run. It all depends on the follow-up, which uh, is coming out soon. And I think, I feel, it's like, it's not like Moon... The word's not moon, but there's some like, it's like asteroid city, I think it's called, or something like that. A huge cast, like he usually has. Um, I'm excited, man. I, I don't know, even know a thing about it, honestly, but I'm like, uh, he, he feels like he is in a really good spot. I feel like Wes Anderson is continuing his career, um, just like rocket ship, just going for it, man. Like, I feel like he still has a lot to say, a lot he wants to do. <laughs> And I feel like he still has like he's finding new he's finding new ways to be himself, which is really cool and, and exciting. Um, I hope his next film is great. I hope I hope we have a third run here. I um and if it's not, I'll still stick around for what he does after that because I he's proven that uh, he can bounce back, man. You know. Um, I don't know if he'll ever again get um as vulnerable or raw as he did Rushmore. Which you always have a special place in my heart, but at times he's sort of gone even further than that, just in smaller moments in his film. Like because I think he's he's grown up, he's he's matured, and he's got uh, deeper deeper things to say. But of course, the funny thing is like uh, like like the movie Rushmore I talked about. You know, your feelings when you're a teenager maybe aren't as uh, complex or as rich as the feelings you have later in life. But they're so big and they're so bold. They're like power chords. You know, they're just like thunderous. So even if the feelings are very simple, like I'm sad. I wish my friends were nice to me. I wish that girl would talk to me. Uh, and even if you can kind of laugh at them now, at the time, there are these huge church bells ringing out. And so maybe that's behind him now. But they will always have Rushmore. You know, you always have that that feeling, and so um, I kind of uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with going forward and seeing what he Wes Anderson has to say later about uh, life as it goes on. I think he's shown with Grand Budapest Hotel and French Dispatch. Um, I'm not gonna say he's just getting started because he's already done a lot of stuff, but uh, we're not at the end of the road yet. He's got got plenty of places to go and uh it'll all look good with future font thanks a lot bye bye